Welcome to Timeless Truth with Pastor Jim Thomas, a resource of the Village Chapel in Nashville, Tennessee. This week we continue our study of the Gospel of Mark. To find studies of other books of the Bible from our archive, you can search our sermon library at thevillagechapel.com resources. These studies, we pray, will help you to think biblically in all categories of life so that we all might be formed more into the likeness of Christ. Now, here's Pastor Jim. It was pretty dark in the Garden of Gethsemane that night, but it didn't stop Judas from being able to find the cheek of Jesus and to kiss it, thereby identifying him as the crowd with all the torches and swords and clubs. That's the one. Grab him. Take him. And so off into the night, they drag Jesus. And he's going to be dragged to the... um, High priest Annas and the high priest Caiaphas, the kind of father-in-law and son-in-law. They're both sharing the title high priest at this particular time. And here's what happened in Mark chapter 14. I'm going to pick up at verse uh, 53. They led Jesus away to the high priest and all the chief priests and the elders and scribes gathered together. So here's this unholy alliance in the darkness of the night, getting ready to have Jesus Uh, under interrogation and trial. Peter had followed him at a distance, we are told in Mark's gospel, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the officers and warming himself at the fire. We'll talk about Peter a little bit more in the next episode. For now, I want our attention and focus to be on Jesus as he appears uh, before his accusers. Uh, who really make up what's called the Sanhedrin, the religious council, the ruling uh, council of the the religious world of the uh, Jewish people. So Peter there, he's following. You remember Peter's the one that said, I'll I'll die before I'll give up on you, Jesus. And he's being dragged along behind it all, even though all the other disciples have disappeared. Well, the chief priests and the whole council kept trying to obtain testimony against Jesus to put him to death, and they were not finding any. In other words, they needed to come up with a story. Some, what, what, what could they do? What could they say that would convince the Roman authorities that they needed to uh, exercise capital punishment against Jesus? The Jews themselves uh, evidently did not have that authority. And so if they really wanted to be rid of Jesus, this is what they would need to do. And this is what they were trying to do. And the council that's mentioned here is, again, the Sanhedrin. It is made up of Pharisees and Sadducees and a few other scattered folk. But it's about a, a council of about 70. And the interesting thing is, you know, how do we know about all of what just happened here and, and all of what's about to happen? Well, there's There's two guys who later we know become believers, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, who are members of this council. And I wouldn't be surprised if they were literally standing right there when all of this goes down. Many were giving false testimony against Jesus, but their testimony was not consistent. How you know? How do we know that, that that's the kind of insider information that uh, somebody might later have given to John Mark and to the rest of the disciples? Some stood up and began to give false testimony against him, saying, "We heard him say, 'I will destroy this temple made with hands,' 
And in three days, I will build another made without hands. Of course, Jesus never said he's going to tear it down. Um, and he certainly wasn't talking about a physical building uh, when he made some references like this. So this is false testimony to be sure. Not even in this respect was their testimony consistent, Mark tells us. The high priest stood up and came forward and questioned Jesus saying, and I suspect there'd be a bit of everybody gets real quiet right now because this is the high priest. Do you not answer? What is it that these men are testifying against you? But he, Jesus, kept silent and did not answer. Wow. I mean, not giving an answer, just remaining silent in that moment alone would outrage this guy. He's used to getting his way, having everything his way, and people, you know, revered and respected the great high priest, that sort of thing. Jesus kept silent and did not answer. Again, the high priest was uh, questioning him, saying to him, are you the Christ? Notice how pointed and direct the question is now. Are you the Christ, the son of the blessed one? And so this is just a slow pitch softball for Jesus. And this time he said, we're told in verse 62, I am and you shall see the son of man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Well, tearing his clothes, the high priest said, what further need do we have of witnesses? You've heard the blasphemy. How does it seem to you? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. Some began to spit at him and to blindfold him and to beat him with their fists and to say to him, prophesy. And in other words, tell us who hit you, who, who, who threw that punch. And the officers received him with slaps in the face. Hmm. I just, that is just hard to imagine that happening. Um, these are supposed to be the good religious folk. And they've, it, it's almost as if they're just a bunch of rabid animals, a bunch of rabid wolves over top of some uh, prey that they've captured. Uh, and they think it's, it's really over. Well, uh, Caiaphas's home is one of the sites that if you ever visit um, the Holy Land, you'll be able to visit that and to even go down into uh, the deep part of uh, what looks to be what would have been an ancient um, dungeon-like uh, room there. We've taken groups down there, and it's, again, one of those, one of those sites that's quite sobering. Um, and at the same time, knowing what motivated Jesus to come, his great love for us, uh, and to subject himself to even become a human being at all, you know, the almighty infinite God, to actually become one of us and to make himself subject to things like growing up, things like rejection by friends, things like being reviled and spit upon and slapped, and mocked and ridiculed like this, all because he knew he had to go to the cross to die, to pay the price for my sins and for yours. Wow. The charge of blasphemy, you know, that the Son of God, uh, 
might um, blaspheme the name of God. Um, it would have been true if Jesus were not the Son of God because of the claims that he made. They were completely outrageous. He would say things like, he who has seen me has seen the Father. Um, I and the Father are one. He received the worship of many people who fell down at his feet and worshiped him. Um, he did things that only God could do. He claimed to have the power even to do some immaterial things like forgive sins, again, that only God can do. And that's why when we talk about Jesus, um, we know we're talking about the Son of God, the only one who's not only worthy, but the only one who's able to save. And the good news is he came for us. So when I have stood in that that dungeon in Caiaphas's home, and I've listened to the saints read this passage or similar passages and take a moment of silence um, and then follow that with some kind of a, a very humble but grateful song, uh, I, I'm moved. And even just thinking about it, um, it is, it's quite powerful. Precisely as Jesus had forewarned his disciples, uh, Mark 8, 31, 9, 31, and Mark 10, 33, and 34, Jesus was arrested, accused of false charges. They um, spit on him as he had predicted in uh, chapter 10. They blindfolded and punched him. They reviled him. They tortured and abused him. They condemned him to death, even though the execution would require the involvement of the Romans. All of this is so powerful and so moving. Um, there is a, a living historian who I don't believe he claims to be a Christian or professes to be a Christian as of yet, although uh, uh, reading some of his works and watching a couple of interviews with him, I think he's closer than he knows. <laughs> um, Tom Holland, the author of the book Dominion, subtitle How the Christian Revolution Remade the World, uh, he writes this, that the peoples of the Roman Empire came to worship as the Son of God, not a warlord who had ruled them as emperor, but a man who had suffered death at the hands of its soldiers was the marker of as profound a transformation in the understanding of power as any in human history. Hear what he's saying. Tom Holland is saying it's as profound a transformation in the understanding of power. What is power? And there's Jesus dragged into this home in the middle of the night, arrested, beaten, spit upon, mocked, made fun of, interrogated, tortured in front of religious people. And they demanding to know if he's the Christ or not. And did you notice his answer? Wow. I mean, the question is really interesting, especially given the fact that so many people who are skeptics uh, 
uh, of the New Testament especially, have tried to suggest that it was Jesus' followers many, many, you know, a couple hundred years later that tried to sort of posit the notion that he was the son of God, um, that he was God come to live among us and dwell among us and be um, here to come, come to save us. Um, and so it's here, here the high priest is just so uh, direct. Are you the Christ, the son of the blessed one? And then Jesus is equally direct. I am. <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder how that sounded in their ears. Uh, you know, I am. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power coming with the clouds of heaven. I mean, if they really didn't believe him, why wouldn't they just think he's a, a, a kind of a nutcase? Uh, just throw him back out on the streets. He's, he's a harmless um, lunatic. And yet they they had seen so many thousands of people following him, so many thousands of people moved by his teaching, um, seemingly committed to following Jesus as his disciples. And they just couldn't stand it. Um, they didn't want to lose their own place of privilege and power with the people. They had to do away with Jesus. And so th- Jesus going through all of this, um, and, the, and the upcoming trials that we'll read about in the next couple of episodes, uh, Tom Holland's right. It's, it is a complete, profound transformation in the understanding of what power is, as any in human history, because there's, there's Jesus literally allowing all of this abuse to come his way, and yet he is completely in charge of the whole thing. Hmm. Dane Ortland uh, has a book that we've quoted from many times uh, at the Village Chapel. We highly recommend it to you. It's called Gentle and Lowly. He says in there, he, meaning Jesus, knows what it is to be thirsty, to be hungry, despised, rejected, scorned, shamed, embarrassed, abandoned. And he was abandoned that night, wasn't he? Misunderstood falsely accused, suffocated, they literally blindfold him, they're punching him to death, tortured, and killed, ultimately. And then Dane added this. I thought this was fascinating. He, Jesus, knows what it is to be lonely. And the passage we just read to me is is one of those times where you just It hadn't really occurred to me how lonely Jesus must have felt, at least in the Garden of Gethsemane, even though they were kind of sleeping during the prayer time, Peter, James, and John were still with him. The other disciples were a little further away. Um, And, and, you know, he had had, of course, thousands and thousands of people following him before that. But at least the opportunity to have his three close buddies, no, And Peter's out in the courtyard, but we know what's about to happen with him, don't we? Yeah. And uh, we'll get to that in the next episode. I hope you'll join me for that. But for now, let this sink in. What the Lord Jesus did as part of, just the beginning part of his suffering, his passion uh, during this week where he will, in just 
a few short hours actually be laying down his life on a cross so that you and I might have life in his name. Yeah. Let me pray. Lord, as always, we we thank you that you came. You didn't have to, but you came. And your great love for sinners such as we are is what motivated you. Um, it's not because we deserved it. It's not because we had a claim against you in any way, shape, or form. But you you came anyway, Lord. You came and, and laid down your life even for those who spit upon you, those who mocked you and made fun of you, those who drove nails in your hands. And Lord, um, that is a love that blows our minds. Um, and so as we read through this and the, the, the coming uh, few passages, as we close up Mark's gospel, uh, Lord, just I pray that you'd open our eyes to see the wonders of your love, uh, to see what you suffered, to know that you did that because of this great love you have for us is mind-blowing, heart-thumping, eye-popping. Um, it makes me shudder sometimes to think about it. I, I, Lord, we, we don't ever want to take it for granted. We want to we, we, we wanna be on our knees lifting up the empty hands of faith and saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. We pray this in your beautiful name. Amen and amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening to today's study. Take a moment to leave a review and share this episode with friends and family. You can stay connected by signing up for our newsletter or follow us on social media. At the Village Chapel, we believe God's Word is unique in its source, timeless in its truth, broad in its reach, and transforming in its power. For more resources or to support our ministry, visit our website, thevillagechapel.com.